As we reflect on the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ this evening, I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21, Numbers is the, the fourth book of the Old Testament. And if you're following along in the Pew Bible, it's on page 152. And follow along as I read Numbers chapter 21, and we think about our Savior who was lifted up to die. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against Moses, and against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, Why have, or we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come tonight, reflecting on the death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray that you would help us to look upon Christ and praise him for his work on the cross. Help us to understand your word, and Lord, may it fuel our praise for you this evening. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, it was a snowstorm on a bleak January morning in 1850 that forced a young man to turn down a small London side street and enter a little Methodist chapel. And as he entered the building, he realized that a service was happening, and he explained his experience in the following words. In that chapel... There may have been a dozen or 15 people. The minister did not come that morning. He was snowed up, I suppose. At last, a very thin-looking man, a shoemaker or a tailor or something of that sort, went up into the pulpit to preach. And he was obliged to stick to his text for the simple reason that he had little else to say. The text was Isaiah 42 45, 22. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. And as he sat in the pew, he heard the preacher declare, My friends, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, look. 
Now looking, don't take a great deal of pains. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger. It's just look. A man needn't go to college to learn to look. A man needn't be worth a thousand a year to be able to look. Anyone can look. Even a child can look. And then the preacher stopped. And he pointed to the young man in the audience. And he said, young man, look to Jesus Christ. Look, look, look. And in response, Charles Spurgeon looked. And he later wrote in his journal, I saw at once the way of salvation. There and then the cloud was gone, the darkness had rolled away, and at that moment I saw the sun. I could have risen that instant and sung of the precious blood of Christ and the simple faith which looks to him alone. And in that Methodist church, the young man, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, looked and found new life in Christ. And in Numbers chapter 21, God instructed Moses to make a bronze serpent and anyone who would look at the bronze serpent would live. And while our text this evening is, is Numbers 21, there's an incident in John chapter 3 that's directly related to Numbers chapter 21. See, Jesus used this account of the Israelites in the wilderness to point Nicodemus and by extension all of us to look to Jesus and live. In John 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus seemingly to ask Jesus, like the rich young ruler, what he must do to inherit eternal life. But even before he can ask the question, Jesus provides the answer. Jesus tells Nicodemus that to see the kingdom of God, to, to receive salvation and eternal life, he must be born again. Jesus tells Nicodemus that before he can enter the kingdom of God, he must be born again. Something must happen to him. But not only that. Jesus tells Nicodemus that for him to enter the kingdom of God, something must happen to Jesus. And it's at that point in the conversation in John chapter 3 where Jesus uses the historical account of the bronze servant lifted up to illustrate his own death on the cross. Speaking to Nicodemus, Jesus said in John 3, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. In these two verses, Jesus draws from Numbers 21 to explain what must happen to Jesus so that sinners may receive eternal life. Jesus uses Numbers 21 to illustrate the truths of Good Friday and to explain the necessity and the purpose of his death on the cross. So tonight in Numbers 21, we will reflect on the consequences of sin and the compassion of God 
to remember the death of Christ and to look to him for the forgiveness of our sins. Tonight, I want us to see the consequences of sin and the compassion of God so that we'll look to Christ and his death on the cross and live. Now, Numbers 21 takes place during Israel's 40 years of wilderness wanderings. Chapter 21 begins... Israel has just defeated the Canaanites and it seemed like they would soon be entering the promised land. They were right on the border to the land and if they could just go directly north in through Edom, they would soon enter the land. So in chapter 20, Moses sends a delegation to the king of Edom asking for mission to pass into the land. And he promises them that they, they won't eat any of their crops and they won't drink any of their water. They simply want to pass through Edom into the promised land. But the king of Edom refused and threatened military action if Israel was to enter. And so in verse 4 of chapter 21, Moses leads the people east from the Mount of Or by way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. Moses had to lead the people east of Edom and each step they made south and east rather than north and west seemed to be an unbearable backtracking. They had been so near the land and they had even tasted victory but now they were wandering again. And here... In verses 4 to 6 of Numbers 21, we see the consequences of sin. In response to Moses' leadership in verse 4, the people became impatient. In verse 5, we read that the people spoke against God and against Moses saying, Why have you brought us up out of the land of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water and we loathe this worthless bread. So following in the footsteps of their father, they spoke against Moses. But unlike their fathers, they not only spoke against Moses, but they spoke against God. You see, they had forgotten God's promise that he would bring them into the promised land and they had become so accustomed to the Lord's provision that they called the manna worthless food. And what made Israel's complaining so serious is that by despising the manna as something despicable, the people were actually despising the Lord, its giver. And before we self-righteously condemn the nation of Israel, before we say, I can't believe what they're doing, we must recognize that we, like the people of Israel, are sinners Romans 3 says that, that none is righteous, not even one, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Like the people of Israel, we too have been and can be thankless towards our Creator. That we who were created in the image of God to bring God glory have rebelled against Him. And so Paul says in Romans 1.21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. 
but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. See, before we condemn Israel, we must admit that we have sinned against God, that we ourselves are sinners that we too get impatient with the trials that God brings into our lives to conform us into the image of Christ. That we get tired of, of waiting for God to fulfill his promises. That we complain about our circumstances even though God has abundantly provided for all our needs. We exaggerate our trials and we minimize our blessings just as Israel did. And as a result of their sin, verse 6 says that God sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. The consequence of their sin was death. God sends a curse that injects a poison into the veins of the people and it, it leads to their deaths. And this phrase, fiery serpents, it, it produces the imagery of our mind of, of burning snakes, of, of snakes on fire. But fiery here, it doesn't describe the appearance of the serpents. Rather, it describes the, the inflammation and the pain caused by their venom. The poison in these snake bites caused a burning, fiery sensation that led to horrible and agonizing death. And here, in the midst of sin, we see the righteousness and the justice of God. We see here that, that God can't just sweep sin under the rug, that he must punish sin. And so we read in Romans 6 that the wages of sin is death. And as a result of their sin, verse 6 says, many people of Israel died. And the same reality is true today. As one commentator wrote, just as the Israelites were sore in distress and dying from the bites of poisonous serpents, so man is in great spiritual danger and dying from the poisonous effects of sin. You see, born with a sin nature, we sin and, and the wages of our sin is death. And ultimately, we know that the consequence of sin does not end with physical death, but rather with eternal punishment in hell. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Sin has consequences. And sin will receive the judgment of God. But, Numbers chapter 21 does not end with the consequences of sin because we see also in this passage the compassion of God. You see in verses 7 and 8, 
In response to the consequences of their sin, the people turned to the Lord for deliverance. In their distress, the people recognize their sin and they confess it to the Lord and they look to the Lord for deliverance. They ask Moses to to intercede on their behalf and here we see the compassion of God on display. They cry out, verse 7, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. And while the consequence of sin and the justice of God meant that God sent a punishment in the form of fiery serpents, the compassion of God led to the provision of a glorious and gracious remedy. God tells Moses in verse 8, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. You see, verse 8 reveals that, that God is compassionate and gracious and though we are rebellious, he is good and he is kind. And the people understand that they have sinned against God. They're surrounded by dying people and they realize they are powerless to do anything about it. And in their distress, in their desperation, they turn to the Lord and that is instructive for us. Because if you're here tonight and and, and you recognize that you have sinned against a holy God, if you realize that you deserve the punishment of God, the consequence for your sin, then the good news of the gospel is you can cry out to God like the Israelites for forgiveness because he is compassionate. That you can look and live and that you can turn to Christ. The response of the consequences of our sin must be turning to Christ because like the nation of Israel, there is nothing that we can do to save ourselves from the consequence of our sin. Our only recourse, our only solution is to turn to the Lord. Oh, and dear Christian, may this be a reminder for us as well. May this be a reminder that that when we sin, we are to look to Christ. And may we remember that looking to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins is not something that you only do once. That we never graduate from the good news of the gospel because when we realize that we have sinned, we too must confess our sins to the Lord to run to him who is merciful and gracious and will forgive us of our sins. And just as God, in his compassion, sent the people in the wilderness a remedy, so God in the gospel graciously sends us a remedy for our sin in the person and work of Christ. That although we have sinned and rebelled against God, although we're justly under the curse of his wrath, God, in his grace, provides a remedy in the person and work of Christ. And so Paul says in Galatians that while we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world, 
God sent forth his son to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. You see, the God who created us for himself, rather than justly punishing us for our sins, shows us grace in sending Jesus to save us from our sins and from the consequence of our rebellion. So we've seen the consequences of sin and the compassion of God. And finally, I want us to spend the remainder of our time getting a more detailed look at the cure. What was it that saved the people? How exactly were the people saved? Look at verse 9. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Now notice here how, how God removes the consequence of Israel's sin. God removes the curse. He removes the consequence of the people's sins by setting up an image of the curse. The serpents were the ones who, who brought about this curse of death, and yet the thing that the people were to look to was an image of the curse. They were to look up and see a bronze serpent. And here we see one of the reasons why Jesus uses Numbers chapter 21 to illustrate his own crucifixion for sinners. Here we see that the cure for the consequences of our sin is found in Christ. Just like God used an image of the curse to save Israel, we are saved from sin by Jesus becoming sin for us. J.C. Ryle, the 18th century preacher, explains it this way. He says, as the serpent lifted up on the pole was an image of the very thing which had poisoned the Israelites, even so Christ had in himself no sin and yet was made and crucified in the likeness of sinful flesh and counted sin. Paul says it this way in Galatians 3.13 that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Here, see that, that Christ saved us by becoming a curse for us, that, that God did not turn a blind eye to our sin, but rather Christ was crushed for our sin. Jesus became a curse for us. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. On the cross, Jesus became sin for us. The very thing that condemns people and bore in his body that which brings spiritual death. Jesus became like us born a man and took 
on our sins on the cross to save us from our sins. See, this is the good news of the gospel. This is the reality that we celebrate on Good Friday, that God is holy and righteous and must punish sin. That God cannot sweep sin under the rug. That every sin must be punished. But he is also merciful and gracious to provide the cure in Christ. And so the reality is that every person will either suffer the eternal consequence of their sin or Jesus will pay the penalty for your sin on your behalf because you have put your faith in him. See, we call today Good Friday because Jesus became our substitute. We, we celebrate the death of Christ because he took upon himself our rebellion and our lawlessness. We celebrate Good Friday because just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness to be a cure for the people of Israel, Jesus Christ was lifted up to be the cure for us. That's that lyric we sang, lifted up was he to die. But then what's the next line? It is finished was his cry. He was lifted up in our place. He bore in his own body our sin so that if we believe in him, we can have forgiveness. So how can we receive this cure for the consequence of our sins? How can we be partakers of this compassion of God? Well, the cure is found in Christ. And so in his conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus says in John 3.14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. The only way by which the Israelites obtained relief from the bronze serpent was to look at it. And so the only way that we get benefit from Christ is to look at him by faith. There's no other way to be saved. Just as there was only one cure, one remedy for the people in the camp, just as the only cure they could find was to look at that uplifted servant, so Jesus Christ is the only Savior for sinners in the world. All of us, infected by sin, will one day die and face judgment. But if we look by faith to Christ, if we put our trust in him, he will save us and give us eternal life. See, looking at the bronze serpent saved the Israelites from their physical death. And so too, looking at Jesus Christ saves us from eternal death. And so Jesus says, whoever believes in me may have eternal life. Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord 
and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And J.C. Ryle said it this way. Whoever looked at the bronze serpent was made well. However ill he was and however feeble his look, just so whoever looks to Jesus by faith is pardoned. However great his sins may have been and however feeble his faith. Look to Christ and live. And maybe you're hesitating to come to the Lord because you don't, you don't think that you have enough faith. Maybe you say, maybe you're thinking in your mind, I, I want to believe. I want to experience what, what the other people around me have, but I just don't have enough faith. Come to Christ. Don't look at your look. Look to Christ. Look to the remedy. Look to the Savior lifted up to die. Why do we celebrate Good Friday? Because of the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel that even though God's justice demands death for sin, his love provided a savior who paid the penalty and died for sinners. Why do we celebrate Good Friday? Because Christ's death satisfied the demands of God's justice. That Christ's perfect life satisfied the demands of God's holiness, enabling him to forgive and to save all who come to him in faith. And so too, as we read at the beginning of this service, Nicodemus, the man who, who came to Jesus in John chapter 3. Between John chapter 3 and John chapter 20, looked to Christ because he came to the body. And recalling his conversion, Spurgeon said, like as when the bronze serpent was lifted up and the people only looked at it and were healed, so it was with me. Spurgeon looked at Jesus and God saved him. And we gather together tonight rejoicing in God for sending Christ to die on the cross and praising him that he gave us spiritual life and, and opened our eyes so that we could look to him in faith and live. And the promise of the gospel is that if you look in faith to the crucified and risen Savior, God will forgive you of your sin and give you eternal life and you will live. Let's pray. Our Father, as we reflect on the death of your Son, Father, as we think about our sin, as we forget 
forget about how holy you are. As we're reminded of our sin and your holiness, Lord, it brings us once again to the foot of the cross. So we think about your sin, or our sin, excuse me, and your death on the cross. We are reminded of your compassion. We're reminded of your grace. And Father, I pray that each one of us, each and every day, would look to Christ. That we would remember your work on the cross, and by faith, we would cling to you. Father, I pray even this weekend that if there are those here tonight who have not yet put their faith in you, I pray they would look and live. And Father, we are thankful not only for your death in satisfying the demands of justice through Jesus Christ, your Son. Father, we're thankful for your resurrection that three days later you rose again. Father, may we meditate on this truth and may we praise you for it. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.